1: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallets, Smart Money Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Kitty from
0: Bitches Get Riches. I'm Kirsten Saunders. This is Piggy, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: When I discovered financial independence, I was petrified to leave my job. The focus way back then was all about retiring early, giving your job the triumphant middle finger. I, on the other hand, had built such a strong identity around medicine, I had no idea what I was retiring to. Our thinking has evolved. Not only are we moving away from the retire early portion of the FIRE acronym, but there's also a push to change your life now, even before financial independence. The so-called coast-fi and slow-fi movements have arisen out of a need to escape the grind of our humdrum workplaces. Meanwhile, a noxious pandemic and an overburdened workforce has spoken with their feet and left their jobs in a movement now dubbed the Great Resignation. At the nexus of the fire movement and the Great Resignation are individual stories. Today, we discuss three. Kirsten, an entrepreneur who decided to leave corporate America pre-pandemic. Jess, an editor who received a pink slip in the midst of the COVID crisis, and Lauren, who recently announced on the big stage of the Economy Conference that she soon will become a card-carrying member of the Great Resignation. Let's listen to a clip of Lauren's talk about one of her big fears.
2: Here's the sad part. I have realistically had the means to walk away for the last two years, and I haven't done it. And the reason is that I am a coward. When I'm unhappy right now, it is so convenient for me to be able to say, oh, it's because, it's because my coworkers are running me in circles and oh, it's because I have so many meetings today. I'm so tired. It's so easy for me to blame work. And when I take the work away, I'm also taking my excuse away. The only person who is responsible for my happiness becomes me. And if I can't manage to be happy... Then there's something even more wrong, and that is really scary, and I don't want to deal with it. So I haven't been, which is why I'm still at my day job today.
1: Piggy, aka Jess Fickett, and Kitty, also known as Lauren Torres, are the reclusive geniuses behind the popular blog and podcast, Bitches Get Riches. They're teaching young people how to become competent adults in their finances, careers, and personal lives. Kirsten Saunders is a recovering perfectionist who spent her 20s climbing the corporate ladder. When her husband, Julian, told her about the financial independence movement, she was skeptical. Luckily, she came around, and a few years later, she was able to quit her full-time job at 35. Jess Lauren Kirsten, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Lauren, you wrote in a blog post about leaving your job. We're all born drowning in a rancid stew of pro-work propaganda. Tell me, Is there something innately wrong with work?
2: I think a lot of that has to do with what is definition of work. We get up every day at, you know, seven or eight in the morning and we take a shower and we go to work and, you know, we come back eight hours later. That is one concept of work. And I would say that that is indeed the concept that is broken. There's another concept of work, which I think has always come up in the kind of fire space, which is, well, if you do something that's meaningful to you, that does result in positive changes in the world that does result in something that looks an awfully lot like a product or productivity in general, but you had a lot of fun doing it and you did it because you you genuinely wanted to and, and enjoy the process of doing it and it's meaningful to you that a, a lot of people also call work. So I think the definition of work is pretty sticky. And what I like about the anti-work movement in particular, and what speaks to me about it is that it's really isolating the the former which is that that stiff idea that we have about what is our relationship with leaving the home doing work that's not meaningful for pay that's not enough for healthcare that's you know mainly the the reason that's trapping people into these relationships that is i think what we can push away there are many other synonyms for work that i would think are totally different and describes something that is absolutely essential to the human experience, to any any mammals, like a living creature's experiences, like that never changes, that never goes away. So I, I think the definition for those two things is really different. And sometimes you can get people talking about the exact same word, but meaning totally different things. So yes, I think the concept of work is broken, but the concept of having purpose and performing labor that moves you closer to that purpose is the meaning of life. So two very different answers.
1: Kirsten, let's talk about that concept of work. Describe your previous corporate job and the circumstances surrounding you leaving it.
3: Yeah. So my first, I agree exactly with what Lauren said. I think I heard this from Carl Jensen, but he said, Work is not a four-letter word, but jobs are. And the problem is that we've taken this concept of meaningful, purposeful work and like tried to squeeze it into a job that doesn't actually reward the same thing. The incentives aren't aligned. And so my job was very similar. When I worked in corporate America, I had a team of four direct reports and probably 20 or 30 other stakeholders. I had a budget. I was making huge decisions that resulted in million dollar consequences, both good and bad, multi-million dollar consequences. And so it was a lot of stress and a lot of creativity and a lot of reward and the things that I love. But at the end of the day, I couldn't break through to be the person that I wanted to be. I could never gain enough efficiency that I would have more time to work on the things that I wanted to work on. Because as soon as I hit a goal, the bar would just raise and they would say, do it again, except with 10% more. Do it again, except for 20% more. And the pay wasn't growing at the same rate. The opportunities weren't growing at the same rate. When I would look up at the corporate ladder, I couldn't see where else I could go in the company that would have as much autonomy, but with a higher pay. And the only thing that would be similar to it would be entrepreneurship. And so when I started thinking about when I wanted to leave, it was very stressful because at the time I was the sole earner of my household. We had a business, but I was the breadwinner and we were primarily living off of my paycheck. And so it required a lot of inner work <laughs> to figure out the difference between work and jobs and how I could you know, figure out the bridge between those two to live a more fulfilling life.
1: When you left corporate America, Kirsten, did you feel like you were retiring, so to speak?
3: No, and I honestly, I don't like that word. Like, <laughs> I don't like that word because it forces people into this binary way of thinking that you either are retired or you aren't retired. When I look at retirement very similar to the way that I look at a lot of things, which is along a spectrum, there are some days that I am retired. Like Tuesday of this week, I ain't do nothing. (laughs) I was retired on Tuesday. (laughs) But Wednesday, I worked my ass off. So it, it just depends. I never considered myself retired. I don't know that I ever will. It's why we called our book Cashing Out because I look at it as this process of becoming instead of like this event that happens, and then you're defined by it.
1: Jess, sometimes we become because we choose to become, and other times we're forced into it. You were working with a respected publishing company, and your job ended quite unexpectedly. What happened?
0: So I got laid off right at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, which is a year, as we know, that has lasted the last seven years. And I... I realized very soon after I, I stopped you know mentally reeling from the loss of my work that it was a completely impersonal decision you know it was a it was a decision made on uh, budget and the company's sort of needs I was probably just on a list of people that got crossed off and that impersonal nature of the decision to you know end my my livelihood my my identity my career really made me realize that you know your workplace is not your home your your job is not your family your your coworkers your your bosses like none of them when it comes down to it none of them really matter or care about you as much as you matter and care about yourself so that that was a a pretty traumatic event. I mean, I think, you know, getting unexpectedly fired would, you know, be counted as a traumatic event in anyone's life. But for me, it really gave me the space to take a step back and look at the culture of work and how it can sometimes be unhealthy or even abusive, at the very least, impersonal. And so having having the freedom of being fun employed for a little while really allowed me to prioritize and realize that the companies that i was working for the industry that i was working for really fostered this sense of martyrdom and you know taking work home and putting yourself through the ringer for a company that didn't didn't do the same for you in return so i'm looking at this anti-work movement this great resignation as a way for everyone to take charge of that decision that i was forced into and I'm really like, I'm kind of like, you know, rubbing my, my hands together with glee being like, I really hope people, you know, come to this healthy decision and, you know, reassess how they look at work-life balance and their careers in general in a way that is going to affect the labor market in positive ways for everyone.
1: Jess, do you think it's different emotionally for you now? Today, as you stand, having been forced into this decision as opposed to triumphantly sending that resignation email?
0: I do. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's something need to be said for recovering from a traumatic event versus choosing to take a leap of faith. You know, I I spent a number of months, I've I've always freelanced on the side. So I spent a number of months being self-employed after I, you know, I lost my job. And that made me approach the search for full-time work in a very different way than if I'd just chosen like Kirsten or Lauren to, to t- take a step back from work myself. So in in that way, I knew, okay, I'm never going to settle for a subpar employer again. I'm never going to settle for compensation. That makes me feel like I have to f- spend my nights and weekends freelancing to reach my financial goals. you know when you when you get right down to it, if your if your main job, if your main career cannot meet your financial needs, that's a problem with that career. That is a problem with that job. so it 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 really got me to the place where I was like, if I'm gonna work for somebody else rather than myself, I better love that someone else. I better believe in their mission and I better be compensated extremely handsomely. And in the end, you know, I I do have a new full-time job and it's really great. And the I'm aware that the company and the people there respect my decisions and my personhood, which sounds like it should be like the bare minimum for, you know, working with human employees, but it's not.
1: Lauren, your decision to leave your job really, to me, as I mentioned in the introduction, comes at this nexus of the growing fire movement, as well as the great resignation. You're seeing a lot of people around you leave their jobs. Is there a little FOMO going on? I think absolutely.
2: I think that the most interesting thing about giving that speech was talking to some of the attendees afterwards. And I cannot tell you how many people, like I I had dozens of people come up to me and say, Me too. Like, I've got like a year and a half, or I've got three months, or I'm going to do it this weekend. Like, you really inspired me. Like, absolutely. This is a moment in time that is unlike any I have ever seen in my lifetime. I was not to date myself. I was born during the Reagan presidency for all of my lifetime. I have lived inside of, I'm sure you guys have seen, there's a beautiful graph that you can find easily on Google if you Google something like productivity income gap, where you've got this big, strong, beautiful straight line heading straight upwards that shows um, American productivity over time. And then there's this bent, horrible line (laughs) underneath it that shows where we our earning potential just stopped keeping up. And so that's been the case for my entire lifetime. I have never lived in a time where we had strong labor unions, where unemployment was low enough that companies were forced to actually get competitive with their offers. That's never been the case for me. I entered adulthood in 2009, which is the worst <laughs> possible time to enter uh, the labor force as a, as a young person. That was a 10% plus unemployment rate. And now just in the month of November, 4.5 million people quit their jobs. I have goosebumps. I That is so incredible, especially because it's, I think so much of it is being pushed by the pandemic and people really coming to grips with the fact that we are mortal creatures, which means that the most valuable thing that we have, period, maybe like the only valuable thing that we have is our time. And when we have to exchange big chunks of our time, for most of us, like a third of our life or more is spent working. And I think we've just had enough. I think we we have collectively as a society realized that this is not sustainable. This is not humane. And we're willing to take action to change it. And that is just electrifying. It's so Freaking exciting. 4.5 million people. Yeah, feel the FOMO. People
0: resigning in mass waves has this narrative about, oh, nobody wants to work and people are lazy and entitled. And I'm like, no, people are recognizing that their work is not serving them. People are recognizing that their time and their humanity is more valuable than minimum wage and no vacation days, no sick days. And, you know, no way of organizing for those improved labor conditions. And I, I just, I reject the people don't want to work narrative so hard because it's like, well, it's a response to employers not wanting to treat their employees humanely. And so I I look at the anti-work movement and the mass or the great resignation more as a general strike across the entire labor force. And it's probably going to be painful in the short term for a lot of people. But in the long term, I have really high hopes for improved labor conditions and more humane workplaces. And, you know, who doesn't want that? Well, answer, you know, capitalist billionaires who are profiting off of exploiting labor. But in general, we should all
2: want a more humane labor market. Jess, stop trying to interrupt them. They're trying to go to the moon. All right. with their phallus like spaceships to the moon my mistake for all
3: of 15 minutes to be clear
2: (laughs) it like honestly that that's a joke but it's also not a joke because watching those stupid rocket ships go up into the sky i think about you know recently there was uh i accidentally drove through some really bad tornadoes in the midwest because I didn't know that they were going to be happening while I was taking a last minute road trip to help a sick family member. I went through those tornadoes and found out when I arrived at my destination that, in fact, they've been really, really bad in some areas further off. And in fact, there was several Amazon employees in an Amazon workhouse were killed inside of their warehouse because they had been told, you're not allowed to leave. Now, I'm sure Amazon, Jeff is listening. I'm sure he would want us to note that like, well, we we didn't tell them that they couldn't leave. We just made it exceedingly clear that we would fire them and leave them without health care and without the means to put food on the table for their families if they left in a life and death situation. And I think when people are secure in their life, they make really good decisions if I were in that situation, I would have immediately left because I'm like, I'm financially secure. I value my life. I'm just going to go. But people make those decisions to stay in those dangerous situations because they live in a very real danger of not being able to pay their bills, of seeing, you know, losing custody of their children because they don't have stable housing. Like, that is the reality that people live in. And that is so hard and so scary. And it's just not acceptable anymore that we still have a a minimum wage that like could buy a bagel like that. There's nothing more depressing than than working for an hour of your life on your feet doing difficult work, and then it, what does that buy you? Like a, a freaking babel, bagel and maybe a coffee. It's it's depressing, and it's and it's not acceptable and it's not sustainable and it's been profited off of for way too long. And people are mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And I love it.
1: Kirsten, it's an interesting point because Jess and Lauren are talking about the fact that fundamentally right now seems like a different time. As Lauren was just saying, people aren't going to take it anymore. You left your job pre-pandemic, which might as well have been like decades ago, although it's you know two years or what what have you, but it feels like decades ago Tell us, what did family and friends think of your decision? And I'm not talking about all of us in that fire bubble, but I'm talking about, you know, everyday family and friends. How did they take it when you left a well-paying job?
3: I think they took it somewhat cautiously, optimistically. I've always been someone who's pretty confident in the decisions that I make. So it's not like they were fearful You know, at face value. But I think everybody was kind of holding out to see, like, you know, will she go back to work? Will she try this entrepreneurship thing for a year and then maybe she'll end up somewhere else or get recruited? Like, I don't think anybody really knew what my actual plan was but they knew enough not to doubt me to my face. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, And even though I left pre-pandemic, it was like six weeks pre-pandemic. So it wasn't like this sweeping decision, you know, back in 2012. It was like, I felt fairly confident that if the pandemic did happen, because it was being talked about, but it was being talked about as like this international thing. I was like, oh, if it, did, it does happen, you know, three weeks and then we'll be good. And clearly, totally wrong about that.
1: Yes, there was a lot of uncertainty, right? Because you got that pink slip as COVID was picking up and people were losing their jobs. Why not just find another job?
0: Honestly, because the pink slip was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, the pink slip gave me a minute where I was like, oh, crap, this industry that I'm in is problematic on so many levels. You know, everyone talks a lot about oh i love books so much and it's just like how many how many books do you buy a year really when you think when you get right down to it so as an industry you know publishing has never made very wide margins and in general is you know it's it's having a lot of different sectors sort of chip away at its already slim profit margins in general so i didn't get a new job right away because i thought i was only qualified to work in publishing and the writing was on the wall that that industry was not healthy and not good for, you know, my my long-term career goals and growth. So, I had to sort of take a step back and and have this career identity crisis where I was like, I don't know what else I'm good at. I don't know what else I'm qualified for. I don't know how I ha- can transfer my skills to another industry and, you know, even my freelancing career was still in publishing. I was I was copy editing books, you know. So I didn't get another full-time job right away because I needed to figure out where the wind was blowing. I needed to to figure out not only an industry that would be more sustainable for long-term growth, but that would serve me and utilize my skill set um, in a way that I hadn't even envisioned yet. And the hilarious part is that I I now work in the finance industry. <laughs> Which, you know, has been my side gig for a while, you know, writing Bitches Get Riches, running the Bitches Get Riches podcast. I just, it was, it was one of those things where you're so in it that you don't, you don't see the solution until it kind of like snacks you right in the face. So I, I, like I said, I now work in finance. I am now kind of out of the closet as an award-winning personal finance personality, uh, (laughs) award-winning, nationally renowned. Um, (laughs) But, but again, like I had to take that time to examine myself and the market and
2: see what would best serve my future. I hear just saying something that I hear a lot of people kind of in this situation, maybe not aware of it. You're like, Jess, you're one of the most competent people I have ever met in my life. Go on. You. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you're, you. you're so intelligent. You are so hardworking. You are resourceful. You have a can do attitude you're funny. Like it just, you are like for someone looking for an employee, right? You're the total package. You're, you're hardworking and and you're bright and you can figure stuff out. If you don't know how to do it, you're like, I'll Google it. Revolutionary job skill, everyone. And you, as this incredibly competent person are describing being in a situation because your job has trained you to think that you are actually not skilled. You know, what, when you said, um, what, what else could I really do? Like, what am I even good at? And that is something that I see all the time. And I I think about someone like my partner, for example, who, when I met him, he was working at a job where he was not appreciated, where he was kind of one of many and he was making 30 grand a year. And he took some time off because his rich, hot wife was supporting him in this endeavor. He took some time off and taught himself some new skills in a field that he had given a lot of thought and consideration into as something that he thought would be a better fit for him in terms of what he enjoys doing. And two years later, he's making $150,000. And I think the interesting thing about this is that when people are trapped In a job that they're not well suited to, they're actually, from from a ruthless capitalist perspective, it's still a bad idea because you are locking so much value away from the labor market. You have someone who could be an amazing programmer, and instead he's working as a tour guide. Or he's working as a caterer because he doesn't have the ability to pursue new education. He doesn't have the ability to you know, get career coaching, those sorts of things that, that would unlock that value in the economy. And when people can't leave their job because they need their health care, when they can't leave their job because they don't have enough saved up and they don't have enough saved up generally because the cost of living keeps going up and up and up and our wages are stagnant, we are locking so much value away from the economy. And that is just um, so short-sighted. And I, I encourage people like who are listening to this to think about like, what are you doing right now and how has that become your self-definition? But like, really, how is that maybe trapping you? What value could you offer to the world if money was no object? I bet you could actually be making more kind of in the cold calculus of, cal- of capitalism, you could actually be contributing more to the productivity if you were doing the things that you actually enjoy doing.
3: Yes, I cannot stress what you just said enough, particularly if you're listening and you're a person of color or you're Black because the odds are even lower that you're getting your value out of your workplace. The data is just overwhelming at this point. That the likelihood that Black professionals who are highly qualified, highly competent, overachieving, exceeding all expectations are even given a chance to lead, even given a chance to show and grow within a role. And so the question that people should be asking themselves is, is there an opportunity outside of the constraints of this Labor structure outside of this labor model. And I think what people are discovering when you talk about, you know, people aren't quitting because they don't want to work. They're quitting because they realize that they don't actually need a middleman to earn income anymore. You can market your skills, you can talk about what you bring to the table on the internet, which people are realizing isn't just a place to, you know, like, Puppy photos and like keep up with your old high school classmates. It's the world's largest marketplace. And so, if you set up a stand just like you would at like a flea market or, you know, whatever, and say, This is what I'm good at, the likelihood that the algorithms will match you with someone who is also looking for that skill are much higher than the likelihood that your boss is going to give you a chance at your next annual review. Like, unfortunately, that's where we are. And the more people that recognize that, I think the more people will feel empowered to be like, I'm out.
1: We're talking with Kirsten Saunders of Rich and Regular and Jess and Lauren of the Bitches Get Riches. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right. So, most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app, and right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying the Earn and Invest podcast, there are a few other ways in which you can interact with our community. The first is our Facebook group. This is the place where we discuss all our episodes of personal finance, today's headlines. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. While you're there, you can also go to earnandinvest.com. That is my website where you can find all of our old episodes, some blog posts, as well as video content. We'd love to see you there. You can join our newsletter. Also, my new website, jordangrummet.com, that's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com is now live. And there you can go to find out everything about the book launch, which is scheduled for August. 2022, my book Taking Stock is about the confluence of my knowledge as a personal finance podcaster as well as end of life as a hospice doctor. I talk about the stories, what I've learned from taking care of people as they've neared death and what that has taught them about money and happiness Check us out at any of these places, and I'd love to see you become part of our community. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Kirsten Saunders, whose book, along with her husband Julian, is dropping in June called Cashing Out, as well as Jess and Lauren from the Bitches Get Riches blog and podcast podcast. Lauren, let's talk about the clip I played in the introduction. You say, my biggest fear about retiring before the average retirement age is finding that I'm still fundamentally unfulfilled. Explain that concept.
2: Our friend and mentor and occasional punching bag, J.D. Roth, said something really brilliant to me. And I hope it's an original quote of him and that he wasn't quoting someone else. But he said, um, you are much more likely to be successful in retirement if you are retiring to something rather than from something. I feel a little bit haunted by the idea that I tend to be the sort of person who works well under pressure um, and the pressure of having to fit the things that I love around my work schedule means that uh, it forces me to be more efficient and to say like, I'm not going to wait to get this project started because I've got sunshine today. And so today's the day I'm going to get started. When you take that pressure away, I know that I'm the kind of person who could very easily slip into the, what am I going to do today? I'm going to lay on the couch and play video games and that's it. Now I am sort of planning when, when I do finally quit, which I'm planning to do in April I am planning to give myself a month where I am not beating myself up at all for anything. I'm going to be a creature of my immediate wants and needs, and if that means I will spend the whole month stuck in the couch playing video games, so be it. That must be what my brain and body needs to kind of recover from 18-19 continuous years of working. But after that, I need I know that I need to think seriously about what my life goals are. I need to create structure for myself in the same way that a job used to create structure. I'm someone who needs that and yet resents it. It's it's very inconvenient. But I think the personal accountability of having to control how you spend every hour of your life uh, it is so fundamentally what I want for myself. I crave that autonomy that I can't even imagine that anyone else doesn't feel exactly the same way that the number one thing that they want is just to have control back of how they spend every hour of their day. What Kirsten was saying about like on on Tuesday, I'm retired because I worked really hard on Monday. That spoke to me. Like that sounds ideal to just let myself have the freedom of spending every moment in my life the way that I want to. It's something that I yearn for, but it is also scary because I don't want to look back and see, oh, well, I, I just wasted a bunch of time or I could have been doing X, Y, and Z, or it's, it's scary. Like that amount of personal responsibility and total autonomy over your time. I think sets an unspoken expectation in your mind that you will become like a perfect person now. Cause like you have no constraints, you have no excuse not to be learning 14 different languages and, you know, building the Taj Mahal in your backyard, like whatever. And that's, those expectations are way, 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 way too high. And I don't want to disappoint myself. So it's really scary. I'm, I'm working through a lot of emotions, stock. <sighs> I feel like that
0: that feeling is something everyone got during the first lockdown of the pandemic where everyone was just like, oh, well, I'll be home for, you know, a month mask max. So I'm just I'm gonna learn Italian and how to make sourdough bread and to play the cello. And then we were all disappointed ourselves when we didn't do that. So I feel like retirement or, you know, financial freedom is the chance to really realistically try that out and learn to you know just live with yourself and enjoy the journey rather than being like well I have a limited time that I'm going to be trapped in my house with no one but the pigeons on my windowsill for company so I have to get all this done now like no I view financial freedom as like this open ended journey where you can really try stuff and and see what feels comfortable and fulfilling rather than trying to cram it into you know way to make the best of a bad situation.
1: Kirsten, tell us a little bit about what problems leaving corporate America solved, and more importantly, what problems it didn't.
3: The biggest problem that it solved was exactly what (laughs) I think it was Jess that was saying, like it took away, no, it was Lauren, saying that it took away the excuses that I had for not doing things. So Once I didn't have somewhere to be from, you know, eight to six, it was really like, all right, why am I not doing these things? And it made me get down to the heart of it to say, maybe you just don't want to. And then learning how to be okay with that is what it didn't solve for. (laughs) So once you figure out that, like, you have this list of things that you want to do because you've carried over the ambition and the efficiencies that were conditioned into you from two decades of work... Once you realize like, okay, some of these things I don't actually want to do, being okay with that and having your own back to be like, it's okay that you don't want to be the best at this thing. Leaving work doesn't solve that. Like that's the internal work that you actually have to do. And that has been a two and a half year process for me, (laughs) like, and because some of it started before I left. And so it's still, it's still one thing that I have to work on every day is like, how do I become the authority in my life. For so long, I've had bosses and they've had bosses. And I've always been wary of what other people are going to, what they're going to perceive my actions to mean. And it's like realizing that I'm actually the only person that matters. Yes, I'm married. Yes, I have a kid. Yes, I'm somebody's daughter and sister and best friend, whatever. But like, I am the authority in my life and becoming okay with that and making sure that I'm the last checkbox is like, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And there's levels to it. Like, The goals that I wrote two years ago when I first left, I've hit those and I've become the authority in those things. And now that I'm at this point, it's like, well, shit, there's another level. Like, I'm still waiting on permission from certain people. I'm still waiting on acceptance from certain people. Some people's comments hit different than other people's comments. And like crossing through that threshold is like my next two years of work. And then I'm sure once I get there, there'll be another two years of work. And so it is this ongoing relationship with yourself that you now have time for.
1: Jess, you're back to having a boss now. How is this time different?
0: So I wrote an article on my blog called, I lost my job and it was the best worst thing that happened to me, which you you know, had me on to, to interview me about that story. So just a, a brief recap. I asked my former employer if I could go rafting down the Grand Canyon for three weeks And they said, no, we can't spare you for those three weeks. So you can go on your rafting trip, but you're not going to have a job when you get back. Or you can stay. I made the wrong choice there. I skipped out on the adventure of a lifetime to keep my job. And less than a month later, they fired me anyway. So that was a real, like, that was a kick in the pants, if you will. But my new employer knew that story. And when they were courting me, they said, we will never prevent you from you know, pursuing a goal like that. We will never keep you from doing that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going backpacking through Escalante for a week. I'm not going to be in self-service or online at all. And you're not going to hear from me for a week. And they were like, cool, have fun. So I I definitely, you know, that's that's one difference is they recognize that I have goals outside of work. They, re- they respect me enough to know that if I'm going to you know go off into the wilderness for a couple of weeks, I'm going to make sure my my team, my coworkers are taken care of, and that you know I've, I've put measures in place to make sure that work will wo- move smoothly without me. And they don't just unilaterally say like, "No, you can't do that." We need we need to have you at your desk in order to be providing productivity to the company. So to be honest, I will never expect anything less, or I, I will never accept anything less of an employer ever again. I will never accept anything less from a boss than someone who respects me to manage my shit and who understands that I am a human with the need to occasionally trudge through a canyon for four days to fill up my, my spiritual cup. So yeah, that's, that's the difference.
2: I'm dabbing my eyes. I'm snapping my fingers. Goosebumps. I'm so happy. I know. I'm so inspirational.
1: (laughs) I mean, Lauren, are you inspired? I mean, could you see a future, Lauren, where you leave this job, maybe work independently or, or pursue some passions and end up back in the workplace for a better employer?
2: Totally. Like, I don't envision that being likely, but I am completely open to it. One of the things that really made me drag my feet with this decision to leave is that right now I work at the best company I've ever worked at for the best boss I've ever worked for. He and I get along really, really well. He allows me to spend as much of my time as possible controlling the projects that I I think add the most value to the company. He trusts me a lot to go in really like a consultant and there's none of that sort of babying micromanaging like kind of vibe from the interaction. And in fact, one of the projects that he encouraged me to pursue over the past year or so has actually been to help develop a program that directly improves the the odds of being hired for people who are attending historically black and minority serving colleges and as well as trade schools and two year and kind of non-traditional educational facilities. So that is something that like has truly been really meaningful to me. And I have been able to like form these like mentoring relationships with young people as a result and getting to, you know, sit down. I just had a conversation the other day with one of my mentees and it was an hour long catch up and she spent probably like 48 minutes of the call thanking me. And and I was um, like, she was telling me like, I, we talked about work stuff. We'd also talked about personal finance stuff. She came from a a background where her family is, is not wealthy. She's the first in her family to go to college. Um, The first to have a a nice paying white collar um, job. She was telling me like, I got my credit score up to like, 7 10 and you know i i'm putting together a plan for myself and i was thinking about going back to school but now like you're making me kind of rethink if that's the right thing to do and here's kind of my plan what do you think of it and i was just like i i almost teared up when i got off of that call because it was so incredibly meaningful so i do think that like there's a lot to say about it. even if you don't want to retire i think there's nothing wrong with continuing to work and seeing if you can increasingly work for better companies, better bosses, working on better projects that actually are like really deeply meaningful and give you that sense of like god, i i actually made a really positive impact in someone's life today and and i know because they sat me down and they told me all the ways that i'd helped them and i i was like floating on air afterwards. I don't think that you have to retire to seek that kind of fulfillment. I think it's just really rare to find in the workplace. And for me, I never say never. I have no idea what what's going to happen in my life, in the economy, in the world, how are the water wars going to play out? Like we got a lot going on. But uh, so I would never say never. At the same time, I think I am vibing on what both the other ladies have said, which is kind of like once you have the ability to be your full authentic self all of the time, that is the kind of privilege that once you live inside of it, you can't go back. I uh, like, I'm not going back to kind of cosplaying a work Sona where I really care about our quarterly goals because actually I don't. I super don't. I only care about the things that I care about and I am done with kind of pantomiming uh, interest in what our market share is. Don't care.
1: <laughs> Pearson, as I listen to Lauren describe her situation, her current work situation, it makes me compare and contrast the financial independence retire early movement and our ideas of retiring early or leaving the workspace and those of people who have become part of the great resignation in general. Do you think the two movements are aligned? I mean, sometimes I feel like they're very connected and other times I feel like they're very disparate.
3: Um, that's a good question. It's hard for me to articulate the FIRE movement a certain way to know if it's aligned because we've historically stayed away from political statements or even having a point of view on how society should operate. I do think there are like fragments of the FIRE community that are deeply aligned to the great resignation and anti-work. And I always say the beef that people have with the acronym, as everybody's trying to like remix it and call it something different, is the word retire. Because it's pretty much non-existent in the real world. And so the thought of doing it early is mind-blowing. So if you take out financial independence, I mean, the retire early part, and you just talk about financial independence and what that is, there's a lot of alignment with the anti-work and great resignation movement. It's this idea that I don't need to be dependent on this institution that is work as we know it, for income, for finances, for my livelihood. I can lean on community through crowdfunding. I can lean on mutual aid. I can apply pressure to my government and to leadership in different arenas to get what I need from them. Or I can use the internet as a marketplace or invest in emerging asset classes that are not as regulated the same way. And so I think there's some synergies there, but I think the early pioneers of, fire as we know it from an internet perspective probably don't have a lot in common because I don't think they were angry <laughs> when they left, right I think they were leaving because they could. but there's something different that fuels this new this new incumbent like group that's leaving that's anger it's pissed off I'm tired. I'm impatient and I'm ready.
0: God you're brilliant.
3: I <laughs> i
0: I think the difference is largely that, like you said, that, that anger was missing from the early movement. But now the Great Resignation is kind of leading to getting rid of why people want to reach financial independence and retire early. Because the Great Resignation is, is really all about you know labor and, and work conditions. And if people have a decent, humane workplace and decent compensation and benefits, they're not necessarily going to want to quit their jobs. So, you know, us in the in the fire movement are like, yeah, get me out of here. I don't I don't want to work anymore. But the great resignation is more like, okay, but why don't you want to work anymore? Like if you had this perfect scenario where you could quit or take a sabbatical anytime you wanted because your labor had set you up to have a a robust savings account and an emergency fund, like wouldn't wouldn't that be better? Like would wouldn't life be better if we didn't quit jobs because we hated them but because we, you know, wanted to change maybe or had the freedom to try
1: something different? Lauren, do you think there's a risk of over-glamorizing the leave your job culture? I mean, it sounds like that's what everyone's into right now, but not everybody can afford that.
2: So, to answer your question of is there a risk of over-glamorizing it? No. Right now, I don't think that there is because We have been exposed all of our lifetimes to nonstop, relentless, so common that it's invisible pressure to be productive, to be efficient, to be working all of the time, to feel guilty or feel ashamed if they're not productive and working all of the time to have to justify, you know, taking time off or relaxing or pursuing a hobby that can't be monetized or, you know, anything like that. I think we just grow up with what do you do for a living being the first question that everyone asks you. And so, no, I don't think that you can really over-glamorize it because we have something really important to take back there. And it's like a game of tug of war that we have been losing for a long, long, long time. So no, we can yank and pull as hard as we want to, to try to move that little flag closer to our side. And no, I think we would have to pull very long, very hard to get to the point where we were maybe overselling it. I think people deserve to hear about different ways of pursuing happiness and standing up for themselves. But That said, my heart is absolutely 100% with people who are in a situation where they just cannot stop working. There's two people that I think of a lot. One of them is a good friend of mine who honestly, one of my best friends. She works at Whole Foods and she makes very little compared to what I make at my corporate job. And she works way harder. What she does every day is physically exhausting, mentally exhausting, logistically exhausting. She has been managing supply chain issues nonstop for the last two years. And she is an incredibly skilled worker and she's paid like she's not then she's one of my best friends. Obviously she and I talk a lot about what's going on with me and my job and wanting to retire. It is so hard to feel the full joy of knowing that I'm moving toward this positive new place in my life, knowing that that is something that not everyone can have. And that specifically like people that I know and that I love are so far away from that. It makes it really hard to be fully present and joyful in that choice. That's something that I am proud of myself for feeling and don't want to ever, ever, ever lose touch with that reality. There's another person who I'm thinking of who uh, a reader on our blog who described having a white collar job that she was perfectly fine with. She's actually very well compensated for it. However, she has a health condition that costs, I I think she said about $10,000 a month if she did not have uh, employer-sponsored health insurance. So she was like, this sounds great and all, but I'm never, ever going to retire as long as we have this healthcare system. I am devastated that this is not an achievable reality for everyone in our society. And I think the most important thing for me, and this I think goes back to the distinction between the fire movement and this newer anti work movement, is there is a really strong sense within the anti work movement that we have to focus on the people who are the least powerful who have the least bargaining power and we have to use what power we have to take positive steps for them that will that will directly impact them there's much more of a like a class solidarity that I feel within that anti-work movement, whereas fire not to say that there's no class solidarity within fire. there's plenty of people in the movement who are super conscious of those kinds of more more political discussions. but there's more of an emphasis in the fire community, I think on the individual on doing what makes you happy and kind of making sure that you have the money that you need. And I am really excited by this growing awareness that like I can't just get mine and then bounce. That is not an acceptable outcome to me. And I think one of the reasons that I am truly excited to retire is that it's going to give me so much more time to talk about that kind of shit. And that's, that's really what I want to be doing. I, I want to be using the platform that I have, as small as it is, to try to extend these ideas and give direct help and connection to the people who aren't in my position yet, but want to get there.
1: Kirsten, are you optimistic, maybe with the great resignation, maybe even with some learnings about financial independence that the work culture in America will improve?
3: Am I optimistic that the work culture in America will improve? Not really. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. The incentives aren't there for them yet. And I don't know that we've reached the tipping point of people who recognize the link between the power that we have as the citizens of a democracy and the change that we are looking for. And so i, I it's too early right now on January, whatever, <laughs> to say that, but I've seen, you know, I'm a student of history. So I've seen what it takes for movements to reach success and how much stamina it requires. And I'm not sure that we have proven that yet with our political climate and with climate change and with some of the other social you know, challenges that are facing us right now. I'm not sure that our generation with its instant gratification and interneting, has proven that we have the stamina to sacrifice, to organize and to withstand lots and lots of abuse from powers that be in order to get what we want. I know that black women have, I know that black people have and other minority and marginalized groups have, but I don't know that as a society that we're there yet. So I do see there be, there be that there will be progress within certain subsets but I don't know that the cult, the country as a, as a whole will change.
2: I love the word stamina to describe what's required because I think it is easier to reach within yourself and find stamina to keep going when you are the one who is being oppressed. When you are imagining the oppression of other people or reading about the oppression of other people and trying to tap into enough stamina to keep going to advocate on their behalf, that's a, that's a lot harder. Yes. Once you get comfortable in your life, <laughs> it's easier to kind of relax and go like, "They'll, you know, they'll tired build. of talking about it. Can uh, this be exactly. done?" And it's
3: like, not. Nah.
2: <laughs> nope. Yeah. Like I, I, I've been I've been blogging for a while. Like, haven't I done enough? Like, right. can I take a break now? And I think the most valuable metaphor that always kind of helps me is thinking about when a chorus is trying to sustain a long note. People have to take rests and they can do that if they kind of work together to as like one person gets exhausted and they need to stop and take a breath. Everybody else is is going strong and you're breathing around together. That is, I think, something that the movement has to, in order to have that stamina, stamina, to have that stability, to keep going, not just for themselves, but for everyone, It has to be a really, really strong collective. And I agree with you. I think right now we're just starting to see some concessions from employers. We're just starting to see some shifts in thinking, but we need to keep this energy up for a damn long time. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to work as hard as you can toward it. And when you need to take a break, take like a break all the way and then come back re-energized and ready to do more.
1: I wanted to thank you for having this conversation. It really has helped me start to answer a question that I've really had for a long time now, and certainly since the beginning of this podcast, which is what is the connection between the financial independence retire early movement and the great resignation? And what I've come to after this conversation is that I think they need each other. I think the Great Resignation needs some of the financial independence teachings to make it a durable movement where people can leave their jobs and not just survive, but thrive. And I think the Great Resignation has something to teach to the FIRE movement, that we have to move from an I-centered thought process to an us-centered process. And I think when you mix those both together... We actually have a lot in common, and I think we have common goals and purposes. I wanted to end this podcast the way I end every podcast by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you if we want to learn more. Lauren, let's start with you. What is up next in your life, and how can people reach out to you? So what is next in my
2: life is that I've got about 90 working days left in my career. Knock on wood, who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll fire me before then. Wouldn't that be a treat? <laughs> but that's the plan. So I am very busy having a big existential crisis about it, but also got to Guys, you gotta go go get new glasses, go go to the dentist, go use up all your insurance stuff, get the get their gym reimbursement. I got I got my list, my checklist of things to do. So that's what I'm up to. But you can find us at bitchesgetriches.com. We just wrapped up season three of our podcast. We have a brand new YouTube channel, which is gonna have a few more things coming through. You can do all of that and read all of our articles at
1: bitchesgetriches.com. An award-winning podcast. Oh, Oh, award-winning. (laughs) Award-winning. Jess, tell us what's going on with you and how can people reach out to you?
0: Well, I mean, ditto. Like Lauren said, you can find our YouTube channel, our podcast, all of our articles at bitchesgetriches.com. What's up next for me is I am planning my next big outdoor adventure for this summer. Um, I'm going to take an extended rock climbing trip where I'm not going to do anything except destroy my hands on some some big rocky rocks. And it's it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I am probably not going to quit my job suddenly along with Lauren.
2: As long as I wish you love and light on your horrible rock climbing experience <laughs> that sounds dreary and awful. However, just please, you're very accident prone. I need you to protect (laughs) your, I need you. I need you. You are not allowed. She knows me alone with, I have at least 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 one.
0: I know, I know. I have at least one emergency room visit per year at this point. That is my rate. I will try not to increase that rate so far have not been to the emergency room in 2022, but the year is young. Don't make me run this blog as a widow.
2: I can't. I
0: she won't. She can't be
1: a blog widow. She just can't. I, w-
2: I
0: would never do that to my work wife. No, more importantly, I will be watching the anti-work movement very closely and seeing what I can do to increase my, communal re- my sense of communal responsibility and help use my privilege to help where I can to help improve uh, labor conditions for everyone.
1: And Kirsten, tell us about cashing out. We're all excited to hear about it and how people can reach out to you if they want to know more.
3: Awesome. So, cashing out is a book that I co-wrote with my husband Julian. It drops on June fourteenth. I said drops like it's a mixtape. It <laughs> drops on June fourteenth. Go platinum, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, if you're a dad, if you got a, if you have a dad, Father's Day, Juneteenth, all of that stuff, buy the book. But basically, the book is about uh, winning the wealth game by walking away. It's specifically kind of targeted to Black professionals who have been against the odds in the workplace and have worked twice as hard to earn literally half as much. And we talk about the problems and the challenges with the workplace so that you can find the motivation to go on to part two, which is where we talk about the more traditional advice and the more, you know, the fire stuff and all of the money advice to actually retire early and, you know, cash out. So we're excited about that. That's what's up next for us. And you can find us on Rich and Regular. We're on all social platforms and we have a podcast called The Rich and Regular Show, which is presented by Success. And we have a YouTube channel.
1: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. and behalf of myself, Jordan Grummet, aka Doc G, I'd like to thank Kirsten, Jess, and Lauren. That's a wrap. Have you been considering investing in real estate? If you have, the best place to go to learn about this asset class is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Here, Chad, aka The Coach, talks about real estate and gives you all the tips and tricks. But not only that, but he has guests on real proof of concept about how to reach financial independence by mastering this tricky asset class. Check them out. Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. It is a must-listen to if you think real estate is going to be part of your financial holdings. The easiest way to get there is to go to CoachCarson.com. Again, CoachCarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. That did was we such a nice
2: wrap up. I loved that. I you did to too. Restate, I was like, I'm going to go write a blog post well. about
3: this. Yeah. yeah.
1: I've, been, <laughs> I've been thinking that's why I wanted to do, I, you know, whenever I put a group of people together to talk about something, like I, I do a lot of thinking about why, right? So I, I, this began as I wanted to talk to Kirsten and Jess together as a follow-up on the previous podcast I did with them. And then, Lauren, you gave your talk at Economy, and I'm like, wait, there's a synergy here. And I started, I kept on thinking and thinking more about it. And then it started to make me think about the Great Resignation. And I, I knew that that was kind of a big question in my head. It's like, I see the Great Resignation and the fire movement having some things that are very in common, and yet I see them diametrically opposed. And so that's, I kind of wanted to play with that idea throughout the podcast of, of kind of how they connect and don't connect, intertwined with your personal stories, because you guys have such interesting personal stories that I think really wend their way through this whole kind of story of what we're going through.
0: Well, I think you're going to get at least two new blog articles that are like, so doc G put us in a room together. Uh, yeah. Virtually speaking, <laughs> This is a really interesting conversation. <laughs>
1: Well, wow. I mean, when I put you guys, when I put you three in a room together, I'm going to get an interesting conversation no matter what. So that's not, <laughs> I Dude, say, that like, not surprising.
0: <laughs> I know I told you this in Cincinnati, but you are like my favorite interviewer of Same. all time. Like Same. you just, you, you are really good at, I'm surprised you don't have a journalism background, really, because you're just really good at facilitating really meaty, good questions and, and mm-hmm. pulling brilliance out of my very, very fuddled brain.
3: Yeah, you're one of the few people that make me remember, like, I always tell myself, pause before you answer, but your shit actually makes me pause. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, damn, do I? I don't know. (laughs) And and
1: I don't want to be like rude. Like, I don't want to ask people, like, my goal is not to trick anyone because I feel feel like sometimes, like, I just want to ask questions that really deepen the conversation knowing, and sometimes, you know, I want to ask questions that are important, but maybe someone hadn't said it to you that way before. Right. No. Like, Normal and so I know that can honesty. be really annoying and stressful though. Right. Because you're like, Oh my God, what, what's going to come. But hopefully you guys know me well enough. Like all I'm expecting is you like, cause I wouldn't even have you on the podcast unless I totally bought into you and who you are and what you believe. So it's like my expectations are just be yourself. And that usually brilliance comes out because thankfully, I, I know lots of smart people. So I just I keep on trying to get people like you guys on my podcast, but, but yeah, I, I worry about that. Like, cause I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to like trick them or push them into a, a difficult place. But I also oh. don't want to ask hundred percent pedestrian questions all the time.
2: It, it's so nice to be asked questions that aren't just like,
3: the, so the how did you guys start? Yeah. What do you say yeah, to like, someone who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's hard yeah. though. Cause I want to have some of that in there. Like, well, sure. like, yeah. like there needs to be a little biographical and there needs to be some of like, who are you and what are you about? and You know, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I love as far as, as interviewing goes, I, I do. I mean, this is my journey as I've discovered that this is actually the thing that I love doing most. Um, Aww, awesome. And so that that's, that's been like my journey, I think is, is, is I've learned that, that this is what I want to do, and this has meaning unto itself without, without really much of a need for a goal past doing this and enjoying it and connecting to the people who I get to do it with. So I feel very yes. lucky to found this thing that I really like doing.
0: Um, well, I just want to comment. So both of you, Lauren, you will not know anything about this. Both of you were interviewed for the Motley Fool's new Financial Freedom in Uncertain Times product.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and I spent hours watching those interviews. For editing purposes. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) It no, is. it's okay. like this is literally my job. um so i am I'm so thrilled to tell you that like it's all going live on Monday, so Ooh. the world is about to see your brilliance and like I know i like I said I spent hours watching it, but it, it was really a pleasure. I think you guys were really great. um, I loved your nuance necklace, Kirsten that was, oh made that it was such a cute <laughs> moment. oh yeah, the don't worry. the necklace moment is in is in the interview um love it. as is the uh the van moment.
1: Jordan, yeah, so. <laughs> I, I saw. So I've seen it because I asked Motley Fool permission to use some of it for my website because I'm starting oh, to great. put things together for my book drop. So so actually, um, Brian sent it to me. So I actually saw my clips and they I mean, oh, he great. just does such an amazing job. I mean, oh, Brian yeah, is no. just like yeah.
0: the whole thing. I feel so sorry for Brian because he's got, you know, like three Motley Fool editors, uh, like micromanaging him, including myself. I take responsibility for that. Um, but like, he's, he's just done a phenomenal job with the whole thing. And I'm really proud of my team. This last two weeks has been insane. Lauren can tell me, t- can tell you that I was like, okay, I can't do any bitches, get riches work this week. Cause we have this big product launch coming up and I like it's all hands on deck. Um, but I think it's going to be really worth it. I hope it gets to a lot, lot of people.
1: people, a lot, a lot of people. I, I know too. it's, it's going to people who already have subscriptions, right? So it's a few hundred thousand people. I thought Grant told me it was, it was automatically going to, um,
0: the invitation is automatically going got to it, them. Yes. Yes, nice. so. um and Jordan, when's your book dropping?
1: So mine dropping. is august, so i am august, st- okay. I'm doing super early I'm starting very early to try to get my ducks in a row only because uh my platform is just not big enough right mm. now yet to to just use the platform itself only, so I've been doing a lot of deep thinking. Cause I, I mean, I'd like to get people to read the book. Like it'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're right now, I just sent it for, <laughs> so I sent it in December for the deeper editing. So I I wrote it and I had my agent and the project managing editor read all the chapters and give me their edits. And it was pretty clean up to that point. So now it's gone for kind of the deeper editing. Uh, so we will see, hopefully they'll be getting back The first pass deeper editing back to me soon. And then I think it's going to go through one more pass after that. And then we'll have a PDF. And once I get a PDF, I'll start sending it out to content creators, et cetera, start getting blurbs and interviews and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But I'm going to be, I'm doing it way, I think ahead of time only because I think it's going to take me a little more uh, marketing oomph to get it out there. But cool.